You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's September 18th. Wildfires up and down the West Coast have burned more than 5 million acres, killing more than 30 people and displacing tens of thousands more. Sadly, this devastation is not unfamiliar, as the effects of climate change continue to increase wildfire risk in many areas. A recent RAND study zoomed in on two fire-prone areas in California to learn more about this growing threat and the potential consequences for insurance markets and homeowners. The authors project that in one of the study areas, the Sierra Nevada foothills, the average number of acres burned each year could double by mid-century, and then double again by 2100 if more is not done to control greenhouse gas emissions. The researchers' findings have important implications for policymakers, insurers, and homeowners, and could help all parties better understand how to address this problem in the long run. In the three decades following World War II, America's economic growth was distributed across all income levels. But since then, the benefits of U.S. economic growth have not been evenly shared. Far from it. From 1975 to 2018, the bottom 90% of U.S. workers generally had anemic income growth compared to the nation's top earners. Rand researchers explore this shift in a new peer-reviewed working paper. They find that if those more equitable income distributions after World War II had persisted, then the cumulative income of the bottom 90% of Americans would have been $47 trillion higher by 2018. $47 trillion is a big number, so let's put that into context. In 2018 alone, the bottom 90% would have earned $2.5 trillion more. That's an increase of 67%. I was surprised by the magnitude of this, said Rand economist Carter Price, co-author of the study. There is no way of slicing the numbers where people come out ahead. Many U.S. employers have questions about how to safely reopen while mitigating COVID-19 risks. But little is known about the effectiveness of screening for COVID-19 symptoms in the workplace. The authors of a new Rand paper assess some of the approaches used to screen workers— such as verbal screenings, using a paper form or an app, and on-site temperature checks. They also rate each of these across a range of criteria, including the likelihood that the approach detects infection, the safety of the screening interaction, and its effects on privacy. Let's talk specifically about temperature checks. The researchers found that temperature checks are difficult to implement, And this approach is the most problematic in terms of employee privacy. They also found little evidence that temperature checks are more effective at detecting infection than other screening approaches. However, checking workers' temperatures might help them feel safer. Findings such as these demonstrate that there is no right answer on how organizations should approach workplace symptom screening for COVID-19. After all, The evidence on the topic is incomplete, and the challenges the pandemic poses are still changing. That's why, no matter what specific symptom screening approach an organization uses, regular reassessment will be critical. 
Combating terrorism continues to be a focus for the U.S. government, and homegrown jihadists are a major concern. In a new report, RAND's Brian Michael Jenkins assesses this threat. Specifically, he examines hundreds of U.S. residents who have traveled abroad or attempted to do so to join or support terrorist organizations. Here's an overview of what Jenkins found. First, America's jihadists have been overwhelmingly male. About half were born in the U.S., and about one-third were converts to the Muslim faith. Second, more than half of these individuals left the U.S. after 2011, and almost all of them went to Syria to join the Islamic State. This suggests that the Syrian civil war offered a unique confluence of appeal and accessibility for jihadists. And perhaps most notably, America's jihadists do not reflect an immigration problem. That is, it does not appear that radicalized individuals are being admitted into the U.S. or that immigration vetting is failing. Rather, America's jihadists are homegrown. The Trump administration's Indo-Pacific strategy has recently received a boost toward its goal of keeping the region free and open from Chinese coercion. And ironically, it's China that's responsible. That's according to RAND's Derek Grossman. Beijing's increasing assertiveness against Hong Kong, Taiwan, and others has led many countries to support U.S. objectives. Take the four nations that make up the Quad, Australia, India, Japan, and the U.S. The security cooperation within this group is deepening, partly in response to Chinese aggression. The U.S. is also seeing support in Southeast Asia, from Vietnam, a burgeoning American security partner, and from Malaysia, Indonesia, and Taiwan. But not all countries in the region feel comfortable supporting America's Indo-Pacific strategy. For example, Washington shouldn't expect much support from Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, or even Thailand, which remains a U.S. ally. Nonetheless, a trend is emerging in the region, one that suggests some nations are increasingly perturbed by China's behavior. And if this continues, then Beijing could further alienate others and have to hang its hat on the likes of North Korea, Pakistan, Cambodia, and Russia as its only friends in the Indo-Pacific. And that would be a catastrophe, says Grossman. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.